<clears throat> Very thankful to be with you this morning and to have the opportunity to continue our studies uh, concerning the fruit of the Spirit. And as Brother Ian <clears throat> mentioned, we're going to be talking this morning about um, the fourth fruit of the Spirit that is li listed there in Galatians chapter 5 by Paul, uh, which is long-suffering, which is also translated as patience uh, in some places. So um, as we began, I, Brother Jason spoke on Wednesday night. Brother Ian spoke on Wednesday night, I'm sorry. Brother Jason spoke last Sunday. And uh, one of the things he mentioned as he talked about peace was uh, the problems that he went through that day and kind of Murphy's Law at work, that everything that could go wrong kind of went wrong. And he said Toya told him he must have prayed for patience or something. So, you know, patience is something that we all need, but we don't want to really go through the, the uh, trials that we have to go through to, to obtain it. So, I mean, the Scripture teaches us that, that um, patience is something that we develop as a result of the trials and tribulations that we go through in life. So we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. Uh, but beginning, let's talk a little bit again, uh, first of all, about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is, is the Spirit, is the, are the fruits, the thing that, that, that is produced in us, in our heart, mind, and soul, as a result of God's Spirit dwelling in us and working in us. These are not things that are natural to us. These are not things that, that are of the fleshly man. These are of the Spirit of God. They are of characteristics of God that, the, that His Spirit develops in us through living for Him. It is through the guidance of the Word of the Spirit that we develop these things. That's the Bible. That those things change us, are changing us into the people that God wants us to be. God wants us to be like Jesus, and that's what bearing the fruit of the Spirit God's Spirit developing those things in us makes us more and more like Jesus. It is preparing and equipping us to fulfill those greatest commands that we've been talking about, that of loving God with all of our heart, strength, soul, and mind, and loving our neighbors, ourselves. That is what the fruit of the Spirit will develop in us. It requires a desire and willingness to grow. We have to want to grow. We want to have to develop those those fruits and allow the Spirit to develop those things in us. You know, the Scripture tells us that we should desire the sincere milk of the Word that we may grow thereby. It is something that requires ongoing focus and effort every day. Jesus tells us we take up our cross every day, and living for Him means developing these things in our lives and allowing the Spirit to develop these things in our lives. This, Paul says here in Galatians 5 that we must be led by the Spirit. We must understand what God wants from us, and He wants us to bear these fruits. It is a surrender and an obedience to God's will in our lives to allow these things to develop. It is what he tells us we must walk in the Spirit, and that is to have our thoughts and actions directed by the Word of the Spirit so that we know how to respond to trials and tribulation, and we may reflect on God's Spirit in the way that we interact with others. Understanding this, that we are in an ongoing battle. We are in a spiritual warfare. That's what Galatians 5, Paul tells us, 
that the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. They are contrary the one to the other. We can't do the things that we would want to do in, as the fleshly man. They are opposed to us in, in the natural man. These are the things of God. Sometimes we have a crop failure, <laughs> unfortunately. Sometimes the flesh wins out. And when we look at that list of things that Paul identifies as the works of the flesh, sometimes we see those things in our own life. We, we have lost a battle. We've allowed those things to dictate how we react or how we respond or what we do or what we think. And so those are things that must be overcome. Sometimes God needs to prune the. We need to allow the spirit, the word, to prune those things out of our lives. We need repentance. We need to put those things, those works of the flesh, to death. And Paul concludes after he talks about the fruit of the spirit by saying... Those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So that's what we constantly have to be aware of, the desires of the flesh. <clears throat> and so we come to this fourth fruit of the Spirit. We've talked in previous weeks about, Ian talked about love, Brother John talked about joy, Jason talked about peace, and today we're going to talk about long-suffering. So this word long-suffering, the Greek word is makrothumia, long, which means longanimity, which is a word we don't use very much. It's forbearance or fortitude. It's translated, or it's used 14 times in the New Testament. Four, four, 12 of those times it's translated as long-suffering and two times as patience. When we look at the word patience in, this, in the New Testament, there are two primary families of words that are used to, uh, that are translated patience. So the first is what we just talked about, macrothemia, whether I said that right or not. And the other is hupomene, hupomene which, uh, which also is used frequently and is more often translated as patience, whereas macrothemia is translated as long-suffering. So hupomene I mean, it's, it's cheerful or hopeful endurance. It is translated as, as enduring or endurance, as patient or patient continuance. Macrothemia, the word that is described here as a fruit of the Spirit, deals with our patience or forbearance with others. So this is directly dealing with our relationship with others and specifically with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So this is, this is talking to us about God's fruit in our lives and the way that we deal one with another. The opposite of macrothemia is wrath or revenge. So macrothemia is a compound word which means long and as far as a time period and anger. So it is slow to anger. That's basically what it means to be very slow to anger, to forbear, to bear with each other. And the opposite of that is to be quick-tempered, to have wrath or revenge towards each other. Hupomene deals with our patient endurance in times of persecution, trials, or tribulation. So when, when uh, Brother Ian talked to us on Wednesday night and he, he uh, talked to us about, the, in James, where James talks about patience, this is the word that is used there. It's enduring trials and persecution and tribulation. The opposite of humomene is cowardice or despondency. So it is the spirit of giving up. It's not being able to endure those things. It is cowering under the pressure that comes from persecution or trials. It is giving up. It is despondency. It's interesting to look at 
1 Corinthians 13, where, as Brother Ian talked to us a few weeks ago about the fruits of love, that the first fruit of love that is described there is that love suffers long. It is that same word, that macrothemia. That is the first characteristic that is described as love, that we are, it is long-suffering. It is slow to anger. It is slow to wrath. And the last one also is the other, hupothame, or however you say it, I forgot, uh, which is endures all things. That is that patient endurance in trials and tribulations. So both of these are characterized in love, both of these descriptions of these different types of patience. Again, James chapter 1 and verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, wanting nothing. He says, count it all joy. And we, we know when we go through a trial, it's not something we want to do. We don't, we don't necessarily want to pray for patience because we don't want to go through the tribulations. We don't want to go through the trials. But James said, you count it all joy. And why? Why would we count it joy? And he said, understand that it is through the trials and tribulations that we must journey. These things are going to happen. We cannot, as Christians, avoid the trials that are going to come. It is through those trials and tribulations that God is molding us. We're allowing God to mold us through those things, kind of like with the, the hammer and the chisel that he is molding us into the people that he wants to be because through those things we learn, we learn patience, we learn to endure <clears throat> because we are being transformed into something that we were not before. Again, these fruits of the Spirit are not natural to us. God is forming us into something that is against our nature, that is being Christ-like, that is bearing his, his fruits, his characteristics in our lives and that we understand when we go through a trial mentally we don't want to do it but we have to we have to approach it the way that James says I know that I'm going to grow through this experience I know that God is going to make me stronger and better through this experience if I allow that to happen if I let patience have its perfect work to endure this to see God's hand in it to see God's promises that he's going to bring me through it and make me better and stronger through this experience. Paul says something very similar in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. That same thing, right? We know that when we go through this, I'm gonna, it's going to make me stronger. It's going to make my endurance stronger. It's going to make my faith stronger. It's going to make me more like Christ. It's going to make me a better servant in God's kingdom. And patience experience when we go through those trials and we come out the other side, we have proven the faithfulness of God. We have experienced, and that experience makes us stronger so that when we face the next challenge or trial, we're going to be better equipped. We're going to know, and, and our faith's going to be stronger that we're going to come through that. And hope, and we have an experience hope. That earnest expectation is, is made stronger, knowing the promises of God Heaven became, becomes nearer. Heaven becomes more real and real to us as we go through these things and understand the, the, the faithfulness of God that he shows us as we go through these things. Another verse very familiar to us that uses hypothema. Um, 
Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so, this is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Obviously, we, as we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance. That is hupotheme, if, I said, if I'm saying that right. Um, that's endurance. That's patient endurance. The race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Paul says, you run with endurance. <clears throat> we have a goal as a Christian. We have a goal. We know where we are going. In this life, we are becoming like Christ, but we are headed to heaven. That's where our citizenship is. That is where our eternal home is. That is our goal. And Paul says, as I believe is the writer of Hebrews, that you basically put your blinders on. You cast aside the things that would keep you from being able to run that race, and you run the race. <clears throat> and you look, at, you look at Jesus as the example, at the things that Jesus endured for us in this world and in this life and on the cross, and his patience with us ongoing, that we look to him as the author and the completer of our faith. So think about also the apostle Paul, you know, Paul who who endured so many things, and you look at his life, and that, that was basically his life from the time that he was called by Jesus, when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he obeyed the gospel, and, God, and Jesus called him <clears throat> to a life to be a missionary to, to, the, uh, to the Jews first, but also to basically to the Gentiles, and as he established churches, his life was a dedication to carrying out the mission of God in his life. And you see someone who put on the blinders and ran with endurance until he could say, I have run my race. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. That is, that is what we are also are challenged to do as enduring those things. Jesus talking to the apostles here in Luke chapter 21, his disciples, he's describing to them what they're going to go through because of their faith in him. That they're going to suffer persecution, be brought before kings. Some of them are going to be put to death. And he finishes by with a very powerful verse here. He says, you will be hated for all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will be lost. By your patience, possess your souls. <clears throat> that is a power. We have to have patience. <clears throat> Count it a joy when our patience is strengthened through trials and tribulations because God is preparing us for greater things. <clears throat> and God is faithful to bring us through those things. In your patience, Never give up. Always endure. Always keep going. You possess your souls. Now let's look specifically at macrothemia, that longanimity, that forbearance with one another. First of all, this is a characteristic of God. Several places in the New Testament, this word is used to describe God. And again, this is one of God, this is God's fruit in our lives, right? So this is an imitation of this characteristic of God. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, 2 Peter 3 and 9, but is long-suffering, that same word, to us we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now let me ask you a question. <clears throat> Have your actions ever hurt God? Have your actions ever disappointed God? Would you say that your actions have ever been cause for God to be angry with you? <laughs> There's not any perfect people here. None of us are perfect. All of us have caused God hurt 
through our actions, disappointment, cause to be angry with us. But what is God, what is God towards us? He is long-suffering. Why? Because he doesn't want us to perish. You know, someday God is going to punish sin. The just rewards of sin, God is going to meet out in the required punishment for those things. <clears throat> but you know what? God has already punished those things. The punishment that you and I, he punished his own son on the cross. Whew. How long suffering is God with us? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. <clears throat> Paul says something similar here in Romans chapter 2, talking to the Jewish people. He's just described the downfall of the Gentiles and all of the sins that they fell into. And now he turns his attention to the Jews and he says, but we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. All those things he just described in Romans chapter 1. And do you think, O oh man, who judges those who practice such things and are doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Don't be a hypocrite. <laughs> Realize you've got sin in your own life. Don't judge somebody else and, and condemn them to hell. Look at yourself, because we're in the same boat without Jesus. Or do you describe the riches of goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering of God, not knowing the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Again, a characteristic, long-suffering, forbearing with, with, with us is, a, is God's characteristic. Paul writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2 says, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering. Why would someone have to be long-suffering in preaching the word? Why? Because you're dealing with a rebellious people. You're dealing with the people who are ignorant. You are dealing with people who are immature. You are dealing with people who are unbelieving. And Paul says you be long-suffering with them. Why? Because the goal is to save them. The goal is to be patient with them as they learn and as they mature and as they grow and as they go through trials and tribulations and, and rough times and, and mistakes and crop failures, that you're patient with them because the goal is to be saved and to, for them to be saved. <sighs> Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Again, that word long-suffering, not seeking revenge, not seeking our own, slow to wrath, patient with each other. And he goes on to describe what that means, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. We are all called as a family of God in Christ, and we are called to help each other. We are going to offend each other. At times, we are going to do it. We're human. We're frail. We're mistake-prone. We're sin-prone. And sometimes that is towards each other. <clears throat> Forgive us when we do that. But we have to have that forgiveness one to another. <clears throat> Again, in Colossians 3, Paul writes, Therefore is the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint, a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. We all 
need forgiveness. We all need forgiveness. And we all also need to give forgiveness. We, we have a need for forgiveness. We also have a need to forgive others. We must imitate the long-suffering of God with us in our dealings with each other and with mankind in general. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, this is Jesus, Matthew chapter 18. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Now, there is more to this verse, and I, but I want to just focus on this part. <clears throat> because there are times that we are going to offend each other. And when that happens, we have some choices. And there are some natural things that we are prone to do when that happens. The first thing we may want to do is we just, we don't even want to, I don't even want to, you offended me, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to see you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. That's, that's me. That's the natural person. Or I want to see you punished. <laughs> I want revenge. I want you to pay the price for whatever you did. Isn't that, isn't that natural? Isn't that's how we feel when, because offenses are real. The pain is real. The disappointment is real. The anger is real. It is not in our nature to want to be long-suffering, but we are. Why? We are called to do that. Why? Because we are not to bear the fruit of, of our humanity, of our flesh. We are to bear the fruit of God in our lives, and this is God's. This is God's characteristic, to be long-suffering to bear with each other. Why? Because we want each other to be saved. We recognize the gift that God has given us, and we want that for others too, and especially those who are of the household of faith. The first thing, he's, the next thing we, that we're tempted to do is to go to someone else and say, do you know what they did to me? Why? Because we want that person to be mad at them too, right? We want to turn everybody because we were harmed. And Jesus said, no, that's not how you do it. You're called to something greater. He said, you go to that person alone. Number one, a lot of times when, we, when someone is offended, when we offend someone, we may not even realize that we offended them. You know, we talk a lot about it's hard to communicate through a text because when you, when you read a text, you really can't see the implications that are behind it, the emotions that are behind it, the, you know, what is really meant by that text. And so depending on what frame of mind you are in, you may read it and, and make the worst assumptions about what that person is doing or saying. And the same th thing can happen in simple conversation, right? Somebody says something to us and it, you know, we, we, it kind of stings and then that person probably may not even realize that whatever they said, but because of the mood we're in at the moment or the, whatever we're going through, we assume the worst about what that person meant. And so what do we do? We go and stew on it, right? We go and, and before it, and we know it, we just got this boiling anger that's boiling up in us and this hatred towards that person, right? Jesus said, you don't let that happen. Jesus said, you stop right there and you go to that person, Nine times out of ten, what that person meant was not malicious. And they, it may have been something that they said that in, in casual conversation, they just weren't thinking and didn't even know that they hurt your feelings or whatever. Go to that person alone, Jesus said, and you talk it out and you work it out. Why? He said, and if you do that and they hear you, you've gained your brother. 
what happens when we go tell everybody else? We started something we can't stop. Now this small matter has become a public matter. And the anger that we're feeling is now we've, we've cast a shadow from everybody else. And we may have been totally wrong in our assumptions. This is, this is what we are challenged to do. This is an oath that we should take with each other. That if you offend me, I will not go to, I will go to you. I love you enough that I will go to you to let you know that I was offended. And I will work that out with you. And you know what? As brothers and sisters in Christ in love, I think, I think that will work 99% of the time. You know, occasionally somebody was malicious. And hopefully when we talk to them, they will repent and they will correct that. If they don't, Jesus gives us some next steps to go to. But we've done what's right. This is serious. This is serious business. This is fundamental to our life in Christ, is being long-suffering and forgiving one to another and to work through these things the way that Jesus has taught us to do. Again, love suffers long and is kind, 1 Corinthians 13. In conclusion, let's look at the thing, the reading this morning, and thank Brother John for that reading. Peter, immediately after Jesus talks about going to that person alone when you're offended, when someone sins against you, you go and talk to them alone, and then he talks about, but if they won't hear you, you bring two or three others, and if they won't hear them, you could bring it before the church. And after that, Peter has been thinking about it, right? And he says, Lord, how often... My, my brother sinned against me, and I'll have to forgive him up to seven times. <laughs> so Peter's, Peter's thinking about this, and he's thinking there's got to be a limit. There's got to be a limit to what I have to put up with from somebody before I don't have to forgive him anymore. And Jesus said, I don't tell you seven times. I tell you 70 times seven. What does that mean? Jesus said, it, there's no limit here. This is not something that you can keep a record of. And when you get to a certain count, you don't have to do it anymore. And so in response to that, Jesus gives us a parable. And he says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And so when they had begun to settle account, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Do you have any idea what 10,000 talents is? I, I don't know if we really do. Uh, I read somewhere that in today's money, that's $260 billion dollars. You're going, how in the world can somebody run up a debt for $260 billion? And I think Jesus is making a point here. Jesus is making a point here. This man owed more than he could ever possibly repay. So do we. So do we. There's a debt that was paid for us that we could never possibly repay. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold and that his wife and children and all that they had and that payment would be made. Number one, there's no way the debt's ever going to be paid. But what's really sad about this is this man's irresponsibility had not only taken away his freedom, it had also taken the freedom of his wife and his children. And they were all condemned to this. And so this man does the only thing that he has left. And he falls down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will repay thee all. That word patience is that same word long-suffering. It's, it's, it's in that family of words. It means have, have forbearance with me, have long patience with me, give me time to correct this matter. The bad part about it is no matter how much time he was given, no way he's ever going to repay this. And the master says, or the master of the servant was moved with compassion. So seeing the man's despair, 
And the situation with, he was in, he grants him mercy and he for, totally forgives the debt that was due. And we think about that and we think about, wow, what a relief this had to be, right? You have just been granted new life. You're not only you, but your family. What a, what, a, what a sigh of relief you have to breathe. What thankfulness this has to generate in your heart. What relief, what praise towards God, right? The next sentence begins with the word but. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that tells us things are not going right. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. <sighs> it's hard to imagine, isn't it? It's hard to imagine that after what this man has just been granted, that he turns to his selfish nature to go after one of his fellow servants and take him by the, to lay hands on him and take him by the throat and demand that he pay him what he owes. Now, let's think a minute about what he owes. A hundred denarii. So my understanding is a denarii was basically a day's wage. A hundred denarii would be in today's money somewhere between eight and $12,000. So... It's, it's, not, it's not an insignificant amount, right? I mean, if somebody owes us $10,000 and they're not paying us, we might be a little concerned about that, right? We would want them to repay us if they owed us that money. So it's not, it's not that this man didn't owe him anything. He did owe him something. But compared to what he had just been forgiven, it was nothing. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay all. The same scenario that had just played out with this man before the king. He fell before him and he, he pleaded for patience, long-suffering. The difference really is that this man really could have paid this off over time if this man had worked with him and allowed him to do that. <sighs> and he would not. But went and threw him into prison till she, he should pay the debt. And we look at this and we say, what an what a, what a unbelievable description um, comparison of this man's mercy compared to what he had just been granted. And what Jesus is telling us is when we are unforgiving towards each other, this is exactly what it looks like. This is exactly what it looks like to God. I've just, I've given you a life. I've given you forgiveness. I've given you peace. I've given you an inheritance. I've given you everything. And you're going to hold this against someone else? How can you possibly do that? So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were grieved. <clears throat> it tells us something else, doesn't it? When we're unforgiving to each other, it doesn't just hurt us and them. It hurts all of us. And they came and told their master what had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not have had compassion on your fellow servants as I had pity on you? <clears throat> Now, let me say this. We talked about it earlier. When someone hurts us, the hurt is real. The disappointment is real. The anger is real. It's not that, it's not that, that didn't, it didn't happen. And it's not that it's, it is not hard to forgive. It is hard to forgive when we are hurting. But we are called to something greater. We are called towards us. And that sometimes requires time for the healing but we have to start the healing process. And the way we start the healing process is we let go. <clears throat> if we choose to hang on to that in our hearts, it's going to destroy us. 
It will cause bitterness and hatred in our lives, and it will destroy not them, but us. That's what the scripture teaches us. Who ended up in prison here? The man who he would not have mercy on, but who else was in prison? And for a much longer time, the man who would not show mercy. When we refuse to forgive others, we are condemning ourselves. And that's what Jesus teaches us over and over. That that same mercy that God shows to us, we have to have towards one another. And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. When was that going to be paid? Not in his lifetime. So my heavenly father will also do to you if you from your heart do do not forgive his brother his trespasses. It is ultimate that problems are going to come, that we are going to offend each other. We are called to something much greater in bearing the fruit of the Spirit as God has taught us. How do we suffer long with each other? We remember that we are in a spiritual warfare, but both all of us are in that spiritual warfare. We're called to be led by the Spirit and to walk in the Spirit and thereby bear the fruit of the Spirit. Remember the long-suffering of God who paid our debt and set us free through Jesus and the cross and bear the fruit of God's spirit in our lives by being long-suffering and forgiving one to another. The lesson is yours this morning. If you've never known the forgiveness of Christ, the forgiveness of God through the forgiveness of your sins through obedience to his gospel, we are prepared to help you with that this morning or at any time that you, you would like to do that. You can we're here to help, to help you be baptized into Christ, to receive the forgiveness of sins, to be born again into his family, to have the hope of eternal life and the promises of God. But if we can assist you this morning, if you need the prayers of brothers and sisters, we invite you to come forward while we stand and sing the song that's been selected.